It's Friday, it's just after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the daytime show on IndieLive.radio. My name's Valerie Gold and I'll be hosting the programme along with my co-presenter Marlene Halliday. So today we have various guests coming up for you. We were motivated to make the programme by the recent decision by the European Parliament to remove immunity from three Catalan MEPs, Clara Ponzati, Tony Comin and Carles Puigdemont, the former president of Catalonia. You will hear Sandra White, MSP for Glasgow Kelvin, who's a great supporter of Catalonia. She attended the referendum in, on the 1st of October 2017 as an international observer. You'll hear her talk about that in her interview. The next guest after that is Alfred Busquets, who is a political activist from the town of El Masnau, which is about 20 minutes, 10 miles or so, northeast of Barcelona. Then you'll hear from another Scots person, Rory Steele. And Rory is the secretary of the SNP Commonweal Group. He's also a member of the Glasgow Catalan Defence Committee. Another Catalan Defence Committee member will speak after that, and that is Jerry Mulvena, who's part of our Indie Live team, who first visited Catalonia as a result, indirectly connected to his work with as a live streamer with Indie Live. He's also a singer-songwriter, um, and he is part of the Catalan Defence Committee in Edinburgh. And last but very much not least, we're going to hear from Amar Anwar former rector of Glasgow University, a lawyer in many important cases, not least of which he has been the counsel and the lawyer for Clara Ponzati over the last few years in fighting against attempts by the Spanish government to extradite her from Scotland. If there is a demand for my extradition, I will appear in court in a European country. I'm not going to volunteer walking to Spain because I know that in that case I would be just put straight to prison. This is, this is very clear. The judge has made it very clear. It's not he wants us in prison before any trial. And he's done that with our colleagues who have been in pre-trial detention for two years and now they have received a sentence of uh, 9, 12, 13 years. Not only they want to put us in prison for political reasons, they put, want to put us in preventive prison before they organize the trial show in which they, we, we will be convicted. I don't believe in the judicial system of Spain or at the high courts of Spain, which are the ones that are prosecuting us, when it comes to managing the political issues of Catalonia. No, they have been uh, totally politically motivated. They have not been unbiased and, and they have, you know, they have practiced a systematic uh, arbitrary arrest. The foreign affairs minister, isn't that a bit of a contradiction? And she goes on and tells about we should solve this by dialogue. Well, his political party in the European Parliament supported that our immunity is lifted. And they started their tenure in government 
making promises that they were going to de take the conflict out of the judiciary and manage it politically and with dialogue. But they've done nothing. Uh, coalition of independentist parties run on the platform of having independence. They won. The parliament, the, the majority of the Catalan parliament, uh, had a mandate for that. So, you know, we just followed that electoral mandate. Of course, that uh, uh, caused a constitutional clash. And, you know, the reasonable way to manage a constitutional clash is by, you know, by dialogue, by votes, but not by sending the police to hit people that are voting, not by arresting leaders because they organized the referendum. That's not how you manage a conflict. Even if I were to concede that maybe those were not the best political moves, the way to manage the response to a mis political mistake is by politics. I do think that if Scots were to deliver a verdict of independence, uh, Brussels would uh, consider Scotland candidacy as a very, uh, you know, simple case, I would say. And of course, that would uh, have implications, wide-ranging implications, because uh, if Scotland can have a referendum and the authorities in Brussels uh, take that as an acceptable possibility, uh, how come other peoples in Europe, even peoples that are inside the union. So we're, you know, we're European citizens. We have, you know, equal rights than other European citizens. Uh, so it would be, you know, that would have consequences for sure. Some days I am more optimistic than others. I, let me tell you this. Uh, but I do think that it's the will of the Catalan people that this, the majority of the Catalan people at this point, that this, that this uh, political project realizes. We're delighted today on Indie Live Radio Daytime Show to be welcoming Sandra White, MSP. Hello, Sandra. Hello. Hello, both of you. And you're speaking to us from the Parliament in Edinburgh. And before we go on to talking more generally about the situation um, in Catalonia, I'd like to just refer to the motion that you have put forward to the Parliament for cross-party support. Is it OK if I read it out just now, Sandra? Absolutely, Val. Thank you. So Sandra has put forward a motion with the title, Catalan MEPs Immunity Status Withdrawn. And the text of the motion is that the Parliament notes the recent vote and decision of the European Parliament to remove the immunity status of Clara Ponzati MEP, Carlos Puigdemont MEP and Tony Comín MEP believes the people of Catalonia and their elected representatives should be respected when exercising their democratic right to self-determination and considers the actions of the Spanish government during and after the independence referendum held in October 2017 to be a direct contravention of the principles of democracy, human rights and civil liberties. So would you like to tell us a bit more about the motion? I know, Sandra, you were there for that referendum as an international observer and you saw it firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a great affinity with the Catalan people, I think, as most people in Scotland have, and obviously the Scottish Parliament pushing for independence. 
But affinity isn't just in the Catalan people and the fact that they want independence. It's the fact that it's about justice as well. Uh, and that motion is about justice uh, for these elected representatives. The people of Catalonia supported these people, voted for them, voted them to become members of the European Parliament. And yet here we have a Spanish government uh, basically saying that they will take them back, which obviously the European Parliament has now voted, which I'm very, very disappointed in, uh, to take the immunity from them. And what will happen, we know what will happen is if they get take them back to Spain, they will put them in jail. They could languish in jail. We have a Scottish guy who's in jail at the moment in Barcelona, uh, basically just for protesting. He hasn't been charged yet, but he's been in jail now for about 10, 10 weeks. That's a small thing. They could be languishing in jail, these elected parliamentarians, for years before this comes to you know court. And obviously, looking at the Spanish justice system, uh, when you see you know what's happening with the what happened with their king, etc., etc., and Franco, uh, then basically, I don't have a great deal of faith in their justice system. So I'm, I'm terribly worried about the three MEPs, but I'm also worried about the justice and the fairness for the Catalonian people. And that's why I thought it was important to put that motion in, just to highlight it and make sure it doesn't fall off, uh, you know, the, the media. It's great that yeah. we've got you there in the parliament drawing that to the attention, because I think, as you say, violence and is happening quite often, it does. And even when recently there were huge protests in Barcelona following the, um, you know, the, the jailing of the Catalan rapper, Pablo Basel, that wasn't really, it didn't really feature much on the news here. It doesn't seem to register. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's not, maybe it's because they don't want to draw parallels between Scottish independence and Catalan independence? I think when you see what's happening just now with um, obviously it's Westminster with the, the crime bill and what's happening with what they're trying to do is take powers away from the Scottish Parliament and the constant, not drip drip effect of uh, attacking uh, politicians and the Scottish Parliament but full on attacking I think you can see that um, we're living at the moment in a world where it's becoming pretty right-wing. Uh, I won't go as far as to say fascist, but there are certainly some countries, uh, and that is a big worry. If people do nothing, and I won't go over you know, the saying, because everyone knows it, but if people do nothing, before you know where you are, it's upon yourself. People have got to remember that in February this year, there was elections in Catalonia, and for the first time ever, independence had over 50% of the vote. Yeah. Now, I think you can see a connection here. So you've got Catalan the elections, and independence becomes 50% of the vote. Majority of the parliamentarians in the Catalan government are pro-independence. And now all of a sudden, we have an attack from the Spanish uh, you know, government uh, to get these three MEPs and put them in jail. So to me, there's a connection there. And we really should be highlighting this. We don't highlight it, uh, but we're going to see the right-wing governments, and we've already got one who's verging on, on right-wing uh, down in, in Westminster. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not all happening elsewhere. It's happening here too. Yeah. And if we don't highlight these things, who else is going to do it? I mean, we've got a case in point this week with the 
the bill about the, the police bill that was going through Westminster, which would have severely curtailed our right to peacefully protest. Absolutely, and I think I've yet to see. I mean, there are some media outlets who will call this out, and there are some politicians from all parties, from the Tories as well, from the ruling party as well, who are who are calling it out. Really, the media has a part to play in this. This is not about democracy. This is dictatorship that's happening here. And we are living through that. And whilst, obviously, I will put up the example of Catalonia and other countries, if we look at that, this is what's going to come to us if we don't do something about it. We're already seeing them trying to take you know, powers away from the Scottish Parliament. We're on the verge of independence. No doubt about it whatsoever. And we are getting attacked constantly. Right, left and centre. And it's pretty vicious attacks that we are getting. That tells you something that uh, we must be doing something right. And we are a country, and Catalonia reminds me so much of Scotland, particularly Barcelona reminds me so much of Glasgow, where, you know, there's a wee, there's a wee edge there, you know, <laughs> do wee things. There's a wee edge there, a bit of gallusness, as they might call it. And yet, there, there was yesterday, we passed universal rights of the child. First country in the UK to do that. That's something to shout from the rooftops. Can you see it shouting from the rooftops in the media? No. And that's a disgrace. Yeah. We can do wonderful things. And Barcelona tends to be left of centre, similar to Scotland is as well. So there's so many great things we can do. And obviously, you're looking at the EU, and as I say, very disappointed in that particular situation. And you're looking at what influence Spain and others may have on the EU. And we've already known now that Russia intervened, America, the Queen, they all intervened to stop Scotland getting independence. So we have lessons to learn from what's happening in Catalonia. And they always say to us, we've got lessons to learn from you as well. So it's important that these things don't fall off the, the media. Yeah, we, if yeah, we don't yeah. do it, we have to do it. And programs like your own, it's great to get that out there. More people mm. that hear about it, the more people will talk about it. Oh, that's, can... good. That's, that's good of you. That's kind of you to say, Sandra. Can, can I ask, I was just going back to the this move by the Spanish government um, now. Can you think of any reason why, you know, why is it happening now? I mean, is it linked up to the recent elections in Catalonia? Because, you know, th these MEPs have been in place for a while. Um, you know, is it because they've moved just in principle, they'll move against anyone who supports um, Catalonian independence? Or, you know, is it that actually those MEPs have been doing a good job? You know, they've been doing a good job out in Europe spreading the word about what the Catalonian people actually want? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Marlene, in, in all points that you make. I think um, they weren't happy with them, obviously, being in Europe, and they were pushing the message across. But there was evidence there that, you know, the Spanish government and the, the Spanish royalties, you might call it, we know that, <laughs> are corrupt. <laughs> uh, so the evidence was there, and it was being raised in the European Parliament not just by the Catalan MEPs, but by other countries as well. Yeah, it was starting to spread. And then obviously the election came over and over 50% the very first time that independence reached that. For them, I, I believe anyway, for the Spanish government, 
this was just too much. And we've also got to take the Franco issue into it as well, because obviously they're exhuming lots of bodies, basically, which during Franco had murdered. Uh, and that's been getting some use as well. And then the statue of Franco was removed. So you've got all these pieces played, being played together. They may be incompetent, the Spanish government. I don't know if they are. But Westminster, I believe, is incompetent. But they've got a lot of experience behind them to stop anyone breaking away from their empire as they see it. Because when you look at Spain and you look at the UK, the empire, all that, it's not a great deal of difference what's left of these countries. Royal families, empire, you know, basically everything falls in place for them and it's the people that suffer. There's not yeah. a great deal of difference that happening in Spain, apart from the fact they've not come out in the streets and battered us yet, but that's still to come perhaps if this bill goes through in its entirety. So I think we can all learn, but you're right, Marion, these things all together have made them decide. It's not just been a whim. We've obviously had something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way of putting it, like pieces all coming together. And I suppose one piece now is that the UK is not in the EU any longer. I mean, do you get any thoughts about how... The UK government w- might react to a request for extradition now that we're out of the UK, or would that always that come under Scottish legal system? Well, it's an interesting point you make, and a lot of people don't always, you know, talk about this part. All those for all those years, we were members of the EU. We were a member of the EU because the UK was the state. I always said when we were talking about Brexit. Once they come out of that, the UK is no longer a member. It's no longer the member state. So for us in Scotland, it makes it much easier to to join the EU, if that's what we vote for, basically, as an independent state, because we don't need to go through the UK to join the UK, to join the EU. And that's something that I've looked at and a lot of other experts have looked at. And that's a big difference between Catalonia and Scotland. When you look at the articles, obviously, in the EU about self-determination, it tells you Scotland, uh, Catalonia, there's these wee differences between them, basically. But if somebody were... I'm not an expert on it, just because I read up on it because I was interested and I'd been in Catalonia and I knew they had this article and I wanted to know what we could do about it. So it made it much more plausible for Scotland to join the EU once Brexit came about and we came out because then there's no state there's no UK state of the EU so Scotland is a state which we are when you look at I mean I sit on the health committee and we have got I don't know how many what they call SSIs that come forward in regards to medicines etc being brought into the UK they don't call it the UK now they call it GB and it's what between the member states. Now, if they can mention the member states, the four member states, which is Scotland, England, Northern Ireland and Wales, they mention states in these papers. I know it might be a wee bit pedantic, but they do mention the four member states of the UK. If they're calling us a member state, I think we use that in language 
to push that forward to, to the EU as well. Opens the door. And ironically, the only reason that Carla Ponzati became an MEP is because of Brexit, isn't it? Because prior to Brexit, she wasn't an MEP, but she she was elected because, I believe, because when uh, the UK left, um, the other uh, member states of the EU were then granted additional MEPs, and that's how she became MEP, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of things going on. I believe that people believe in democracy and they support the country becoming independent. They should be able to do that. You know, you shouldn't have to go cap and hand to anybody. Can I just ask you, because I know I'm conscious that you've got a very busy day in the Parliament. I was wondering, while we've still got you here, Sandra, if I could just ask you a little bit about the visit that you made as an international observer in a for the referendum on the 1st of October 2017. I know you met Carmi Forcadell then and she's one of the imprisoned politicians. Um, I wonder if you'd like to just tell us a little bit about the impression that that made on you. Really, I did leave a huge impression and uh, we went to, I was there along with um, Trisha Barwick, who was previous presiding officer for the parliament and we met with Carmi and she gave us a scarf and I think I mentioned this before to somebody. Uh, we had didn't have anything with us, but I had my Scotland flag, which I took all over. So you can imagine it wasn't exactly pristine clean. <laughs> I said to Trisha, gosh, we've got nothing to give, can we? So we just wanted to scatter the, the, the flag up and we handed her the flag and she was delighted with it. It was the way they had organised it. It was absolutely unbelievable. I have never seen an organisation like it. Yeah, okay, in Scotland we have the organisations, but they were real grassroots, basically. Uh, and we had a chat with Carmi, a beautiful, lovely lady, lovely lady, not in the least arrogant or anything, just a really nice lady doing the same job as Trisha did, which meant you were non-political. You just, you know, presided over the parliament. And she had, she was tired because they'd been out the whole time. And then we went around various areas. I uh, spoke to people and we had, this is the street parties. Everybody came out. It was just wonderful. And then we went to the huge big one that was, was out in the outskirts. Uh, we got a, I mean, a car out to that, out to the outskirts there. And with speakers, we were speaking as well, but they had music. It was unbelievable. Fireworks, everything. It was so well organised, I couldn't believe it. Uh, very, very, really impressed by it all. And then they had various meetings to tell you. It was all, these meetings were quite secret because nobody was to know where we were going to be going. So you had a kind of phone call the next day that would tell you to meet a set place and then you were taken to a school or a community centre when the voting was on. Uh, and the people were absolutely lovely, young, old, you name it. Um, we were given a school which thankfully was not attacked by, you know, basically Spanish police. Uh, people were there watching for us, but they would drive round in their cars and people would get worried and they would come into the school grounds because they were worried that they were going to take their votes away. And mm-hmm. um, they did so in a couple of schools round about us, basically. And then they cut off this, uh, all of the internet, so we couldn't use the computers to check it out or anything like that. So they did it on their mobile phones. 
people voted and they wrote it all down their mobile phones. They were they were so enthused and so well organised. It was quite unbelievable. Yeah. One thing I did like uh, when all the votes were counted, and right up to the very last minute, we had someone who overseen the whole thing, and then they would come and talk to us uh, about certain things. So. We're told that's the votes count, that's them finished. We're going to count them now. And every single polling station or school where the people voted, that's where the votes are counted. Oh. They're taken away, which I thought was great. So Trish and I went, it was down in the basement, all the light, we put all the lights out in case the police came. So we went down in the basement with the, the, the tellers uh, and then we watched them count them and then we signed the seal and all that stuff. And then we went outside, and of course all the gates were closed, so we climbed the gate to go on the street where the crowds were all there, and they had um, cava and glasses for us, and they gave us glasses of cava and thanked us all so much for being there and saving their votes, etc. Uh, because I mean they had lookouts and everything; it was just just amazing. And when we went to go for a coffee, they wouldn't let us go for a coffee because they said, "No, no, no, you need to stay here." Because when we were there, they didn't seem to come to the school. But when we disappeared, they would, you've seen them coming up long. I don't know why. Were uh, people there from abroad? Was a, a safety factor for them? It could have been, but they did go to the other schools. We had a couple of people. It's a school which is just about two streets away. And they came along and they, they said they had just took all the ballot boxes from their school. Could they vote in this school? But they were told no, they couldn't, you know, that would be, they would say that would be against the law. They, they did everything absolutely properly. And we had um, a BBC camera crew uh, who phoned and said they were in the area, could they come along? And I won't say who the, who the reporter or the camera crew were at this point in time, uh, and came in, we brought them in. And then they were absolutely flabbergasted because they could speak Catalan. <laughs> So they were absolutely flabbergasted that these these reporters now could speak Catalan. And they took pictures of them voting, etc. And then the two girls who came from the, pre the other school to say to us, they were taking the ballot boxes away. They asked them, is it far? And they said, no, two streets. So they went with them. So obviously they must have took pictures over there as well. But it was quite surreal when they turned up. I mean, it's great that you are, not only did you do that, but that you've maintained that focus and you've maintained with this motion, for example, are trying to keep the the case and the situation of the Catalan people in the public eye. And um, hopefully at some point before too long, we'll be able to go back to Catalonia. And um, um, we have been invited to a wedding there next year, early next year. So I'm hoping that by then we might be able to travel because people like Carmi Forcadell are still imprisoned. Although I think they've relaxed the conditions, but they can always change that at any time. It's very repressive, as you say. This Scottish guy, William Aitken, he's still in jail. He hasn't even been tried yet. Is there any final message then on the Catalan situation you'd just like to say, Sandra, before we let you go? <laughs> I'd just like to say to, to any Catalans who are who are listening in, we'll always support you. We're always here, and uh, please don't give up. I know you won't give up. And we in Scotland will not give up either. 
and to anyone else that's listening, ensure that this gets in the news, in the media. Just keep pushing it, even if it's on Twitter. People need to know what's happening in Catalonia. And um, we in Scotland have an election coming up as well. We don't know what's going to happen with our election. So keep the faith and keep going. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. And I'll see you again. (laughs) Okie dokes. Thank you. So for the next part of our Catalan special, we are going live to Catalonia. And last week, we were really pleased to have a contribution from Monica Calvel Monturiol to our International Women's Day special. And today, we have her partner, Alfred Busquets. Hello, Alfred. Hello. How are you? Warm hug from Catalonia. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful to, I can see you on the Zoom and to hear from you, Alfred. Uh, and you're speaking from Elmas now, just north of Barcelona. Yes, it's about 15, let's say 10 miles. <laughs> By the beautiful coast. <laughs> yes. Believe, believe it or not, the sun is actually dazzling. We've got dazzling sunshine in Glasgow here today, believe it or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, can I start? Alfred, by asking you, what are your current feelings or what's your reaction to the removal of immunity from the three Catalan members of the European Parliament by the EU? Well, this is a, I see as a failure of the European Union, because at the end you realize that this club of economical interest, in fact, there was only, there was the 42 42%, I think, that, that voted against to remove the immunity. But instead of trying to solve the, the things by the political way, and Europe is saying that the Spanish justice is not a real justice, so, so this is why there was a 42% of parliament that said no. At the end, you realize that there are two strong economical interests, and if, if you are uh, on my side, you have to vote what I want to vote if you are not on my side. So, or you are with me or you are against me. That's the, that's the politics. But at the end, you, you realize that the economical interests are stronger than, than the political interests. And, and it's not Catalonian, let's say, problem. Europe prefers to keep as a domestic problem and to be on, on Spanish side because at the end who will pay for the debt of Spain so I'm not interested on solving politically it's more to to do with economics than with justice or human rights yes yes. Uh, in fact uh, Amnesty International the the, the Spanish justice is not fair fair or good enough even uh, for example there's what with, uh, with Baltonic uh-huh. The, the, the singer. Yes. They, they told also no. Uh, these people should not be brought to Spain because uh, the Spanish justice will, will not uh, play fair. Is that, is that the singer who's in Belgium? Yes. And he in Belgium, the Belgian authorities have been quite good about not allowing extradition. So I mean, if yes. we look at can we look for a moment at what has happened after the imprisonment of Pablo Hassel, the rapper who was, uh, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, Pablo Hassel, oh. 
um, who, and I know there have been a lot of demonstrations in Barcelona and near where you live because of this young man being imprisoned. Yes, because the fact that the the former king or the king is a thief, people doesn't care. Is it because the problem is to say and to sing that he's a thief. This is the the the, the, the main issue. So I I. I Pablo Hassel in, in in the court with a, one being judged, and he was he was really brave, telling to, to the judges all the things that we uh, we thought, that, and and he he was very brave, and and in fact he's he is going to to prison for that. But if if I if I may compare, uh, years ago there was an interview was made in France to Juan Carlos the former king for a French television and this interview was forbidden in Spain was censored because so there's a there's a strong censorship still in in, yeah. in Spain I don't want to compare the 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 the, the interview with Megan and, and I think it's Henry uh, the Harry Prince Harry 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 sorry Harry and, and Megan but th- this interview was broadcast in the British television with I think 13 or 17 million people watching it, this is is impossible to see in Spain because uh, no, no nobody would allow to it would, to. It would to... be suppressed. It would be suppressed. Yes, in fact, it, it was uh, the, this interview made in France with uh, Juan Carlos. It was we, we, it has never been uh, broadcasted on the Spanish television. So there's a lot of censorship. Do you think that the Spanish government are taking a harder line now? Do you think they're becoming more hardline on Catalonian politician? Are they becoming mm-hmm. more repressive, or is it just the same? Do you think they're tightening the screw, as it were? They they will be even more re- repressive because uh, the Spanish justice each and every time it goes to to Europe, especially with the Belgian justice. They they couldn't find a way to bring them back to Spain. Now they are trying to remove, well, in fact, they removed immunity, trying to to bring them back to Spain. I think it will be still a long process because I think there's another, this is not the, the Strasbourg court, I think it's still to be appealed. It will. It might take about two it, years. It still. might take years, yeah. But nothing will be more successful for the Spanish justice than having them back to to Spain. They they will they really the, the justice is really repressive. But the government who who can uh, hang the medal yeah. <laughs> that they br- I brought them back to Spain. That would, uh, it would be seen as an achievement, a sort of feather yes, in the cap. Yes, but, yeah, yes. <laughs> that, would be, that would be seen as a, and also the the fact that the judiciary, the judges, a, a lot of the people in the judiciary are still of that very right wing, Francoist type of loyalty, aren't they? In fact, uh, the the real power. I think that we have uh, one of the worst monarchies in Europe. There's a lot of corruption, a lot of uh, a lot of unpleasant things. But the fact is, Felipe the, the sixth is still in power. It's because there's a, a background interest, like the IBEX 35, the big companies, judge power, 
and uh, there's a, a structure still coming from uh, Frankism. Well, in fact, Franco was also, let's say, the, the Castilian mentality. Franco was being Frankist is is, is being uh, Castilian minded. So it's not. Uh, but yes, of course, there's a there's a maybe a few thousands of people that that they are really running the the country. Alfred, can I ask you a question in terms of the future? Are you optimistic that Catalonia will, at some point, win its independence from the from Spain? It, I, I think that at, at the end, Catalonia will be what the Catalans wants to be. It may take more or less time. There's nothing that any politician or any army can do can do against the the, the power of the people. It may take longer or, or a shorter time, but if is the the willing of the Catalans, sooner or later will come. In fact, Spain is, is a castle being, <laughs> you know, one castle is under siege. No, no, no. It's like a, a castle of cards, you know that. that ah, yeah, house of cards. That once but, you knock one away, they'll all fall down. Yes, and, and uh, we have a, a a corruption everywhere, starting from the monarchy. Uh, we have an unfair judge or power. Politicians are the, the worst, I think, in in, in Europe. So uh, Spain is being uh, in, being old, old self-demolished. So, and if the Catalans keep wanting or willing for their independence, sooner or later it will arrive. It may take ten years, even twenty years. Maybe we, we will, I will not say it. Maybe our sons, but this, if it's the the the, the willing or the people, or the people, there's nothing can stop this. And I what think. message would you send to us here in Scotland, the people in Scotland that are also working for independence? What message would you send? Keep keep the the the, the energy and the moral as high as you can, because uh, the independence is is more important that the politicians we have on a certain time is more important than the, the economical situation. So we have to keep on fighting whatever is the, the, the situation. So just keep on and, 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 and stay on and, and on working for the independence. Thank you very and, much indeed, Alfred and the Vista Catalunya, Yuri. Thank you. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Alfred Busquet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Scotland. <laughs> so today's Indie Live Daytime show is focusing on the recent decision in the EU to withdraw immunity against extradition from the Catalan MEPs. And Valerie and I are now talking to Rory Steele. So, Rory, thanks very much for, for coming on the programme taking a bit of time out of your day. You're a member of the Catalan Defence Committee, which works in Scotland to gather support for self-determination and human rights for Catalonia. And I know that in 2017, while you were the vice convener of Young Scots for Independence. You led a delegation to Barcelona where most of you were defending polling stations against the Guardia Civil. 
and I must say it's inspiring to hear that you know young Scots for independence were over there although I have to say also it sounds as if it might have been potentially pretty dangerous it'd be great to hear what that was like but maybe before that could you could you tell us about uh, the Catalan Defence Committee yep so the the Catalan Defence Committee was set up shortly after the Catalan referendum in 2017 and it's comprised of basically just activists like myself uh, ordinary people and the the main purpose of it uh, is to promote the case for self-determination in Catalonia, democracy and human rights. So some of the things that we've been doing over the past few years has been organising demos, organising uh, documentary showings about what happened in 2017 in Catalonia and generally just raising awareness about the the abuses that are going on in Catalonia and I think the, the latest one that has been shown has been the removal of immunity for the, the three Catalan MEPs. So that's that's one of the, the, the main driving force behind behind the, the Catalan Defence Committee and we've got branches in primarily in Glasgow and Edinburgh. So the, it's just activists who are really care about these things. That you know, a lot of the people who are involved are, are in favour of independence for Scotland, but we've got people from across the spectrum. The oh. main uh, underlying idea is about self determination and democracy and allowing people to especially people in Catalonia, to decide their own future and their own path. Yeah, yeah. Val, you, you've been, you've got contacts over there, haven't you? Well, yeah, I was in, a couple of years ago, we went over for the Diada and that was because I, I was, I think what happened was I, I came to the attention of uh, an organisation called Foreign Friends for Catalonia because mm-hmm. they had seen that I had been doing lots of stuff online, you know, like on Twitter and on Facebook. So they sent me an invitation to go across and take part in this programme. And basically there was a, a group of us went over from different countries, not just from Scotland, but from Holland, Germany, France, all different European countries. It was absolutely wonderful. We were put up with local people in their homes and um, we went to a programme of different community events, but but most importantly, we took part in the Diada. And Amar Anwar mentioned it in his interview because he was actually speaking that day and there was, I think they reckon there was over three quarters of a million people on the Avenida Diagonal that day. It was incredible. (laughs) With Diada in um, Barcelona, I've been to Diada a few times. I've been to Catalonia, I think about seven or eight times, a few times I've uh, taken myself out, but uh, some other times it's been on the invitation of Esquerra, uh, the uh-huh. youth wing of Esquerra, yeah. which is the Social Democratic uh, Party in Catalonia in favour of independence, and they've they've been really hospitable towards uh, people in the YSI in particular, so sometimes I was representing um, the the YSI and the SNP at these events, but other times um, I was out myself. And what, it's, what I think is great about the ADA is that it is it's a celebration, but at the same time, it's a, a rally, it's a protest. And I've never seen anything like the ADA in my life. And I've been over with with friends from London, and even to them, when when they seen the ADA and the crowds that just going for miles and miles, they've they've never seen anything like it. It's brilliant. I, I didn't 
quite get my head around at first that you know when we think of a rally or a march it's moving from one place to another but I didn't get my head realize until I was in it that it, they actually just stay in the one place all the time I think they would struggle to move them from A to B there's that, there's that, many, that many of them yeah as, yeah as soon as, as, soon as a I, I, I realise it's obvious, you know, it's totally obvious that it couldn't be like a march with that um, that scale. The, the time I was there, they had this thing where at a certain time, everyone had to be quiet, absolutely silent, and put all their banners and their flags down. And then at the very, very top, they started the noise and the putting the banners up. And it was like a massive wave, just like moving right there. and you could hear it coming it was the wow. most inc- unbelievable feeling yeah. it was wow. like a wave of sound and you could see it you know you could hear it coming but you could see all the banners you know gradually going up all the way up the, the avenue <laughs> and then afterwards the people all pick up all their litter and leave the place absolutely spotless yeah. you know yeah. the, the discipline in the organization that they have is is unmatched as far as i've seen um, their the, the idea of politics and protest and rally and even just political organisation I think is very different to what we're used to in Scotland and there's organisations obviously like All Under One Banner who have been the the sort of street movement since 2014 and I think it's it's quite useful to to have that uh, mechanism to, to boost people's morale and make them feel like they're part of something but I, the, the discipline and the, the organisation of it's it's next tell level. Us yeah. about, tell us about your visit in 2017. Was that the first time you went, Rory? You said you've been quite a few times. Was that one of the most memorable? It was definitely the most memorable. I think I've, as I said, I think I've been about seven or eight times. The first time I went was shortly after our independence referendum because I think it was they were holding a, a mock referendum on independence at the time. So that was the first time I'd been to Catalonia. Um, but 2017 was definitely oh. the most memorable. I don't think that we we I, I I was leading the delegation, but we were taking a lot of direction from the Catalans themselves. And I always emphasise this point that we are no in Catalonia to promote Scotland. We're representing Scotland, but we're first and foremost we're there to support the Catalans. So I was always quite mindful that whatever people were doing, um, that's that was why we were there and reminded them of that um, I remember the night before the uh, the referendum um, at the Scara Youth Wing had organised like a sort of um, buffet and drinks reception for us and some of the other international delegations that had been so there's people from Plaid Cymru and, and a few other like uh, Galicia and that sort of those sort of places so they took us aside uh, well took me aside um, and said we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what the reaction is going to be. It doesn't look good um, because by that point, the Guardia Seville had burst in um, thousands of uh, police officers. So I had to have the chat with everyone and said, well, we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, anyone over the age of 18 is able to make their, their own decision and whether they want to be there and defend the polling stations. And that's a risk that they would have to take themselves. We were We were quite lucky and that there were police parked just down the road from the polling station that we were defending. It was in sort of in the um, north east of the city. 
and we were quite lucky that the police didn't actually come to our polling station. It was a, a school, and we were there from I think it was about five in the morning until about ten o'clock at night. And one of the the polling station that we were defending, it was a one of my friends, Oriel, who was is an activist for the Catalan Defence Committee in Glasgow. So he'd been living in Scotland for a number of years, and I'd know, he joined the SNP as well. So I'd known him. That was his polling station. So it was good that we were able to defend his vote, defend <laughs> his right yeah. to defend, yeah. uh, determine yeah. their own future. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was it right from the beginning over there then that there was a sense that well, there was going to be a need to defend polling stations. Was that there right from the word go? Aye, the, 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 there was a definitely a, a feeling in the air, um, especially um, given the events that the, the steps that the, the Spanish government were taking with busting the, the police officers in. We knew that it wasn't going to be good. We just didn't know exactly how extreme the response was going to be. Yeah. Um, so we did know that and we were going in with that expectation but it really didn't become real until say the night before when we had that conversation when the, the yeah. Catalan hosts had basically said to us no you, you, we don't re- we don't even know exactly what the response is going to be so yeah. it's it's uh, taking the, the risk into your own hands. Did you personally witness any of the violence on that occasion or you said that the polling station that you were in wasn't attacked by the police but um did you see any violence while you were there, Rory? Thankfully, I didn't. Um, there was a few people who were uh, members of Plaid Cymru who um, had went to a different polling station and uh, one of them was assaulted by the police. I think he was um, thrown to the ground. Um, so, But thankfully, we, we, we didn't witness any. Yeah. Yeah. So, wh- what about coming into the present? What were your own feelings this, you know, this last couple of weeks when you heard about the uh, the way that the EU has, well, accepted and withdrawn the immunity from these three Catalan MPs? I mean, was it something that surprises you or not? I don't think it surprises me. No. Um, I think w- when I was at that referendum in twenty seventeen, and I was expecting at least lip service from the European Union and other member states about what happened in Catalonia and the reaction from other countries and the European Union itself was that, well, the Spanish government have got a right to do this. It's yeah. it's their sovereignty and they're, they're able to go in and clamp down like this. So all of the steps that have been taken by the Spanish government um, and representatives like Guy Verhofstadt um, of the EU and the European institutions has basically been support, either tacit support by saying nothing yeah. or actual out and out support. So for me, that was a big, personally, that was a big moment for me when I realised the European Union itself um, isn't really this buffer or this um, standard for human rights and democracy. So it hasn't been too surprising. Mm. I wish it had gone different, but Again, that's that's the the nature, I think, of the the people who are running these institutions. Yeah. Um, we, we interviewed. We've got another interview with um, a friend of mine in Catalonia that we stayed with, uh, Alfred Busquets, and he he felt that the human rights aspect of the European Union, in this case at least, if not overall is very much outweighed by the economic motivation that you know the economic 
side of it is what holds sway and that is why the, the, the EU are, tend to always side with Spain rather than than look at the democratic rights of the Catalan people. Yeah. I think when, when you look at how the EU is run, it's the Commission that really holds the majority of the power within the European Union and it's essentially a club of member states. So if you're a member state, um, your interests will be protected. So in this case, it's Spain. What we're seeing across Europe, especially in Scotland, uh, Wales, Ireland, uh, Catalonia, there's there's been a, a there's the beginning of a breakup of the sort of status quo of the nation state as we know it, and I think that those member states who hold power within the Commission are seeing that they don't like it, so they're they're closing ranks essentially, and the cost of that is uh, democracy and human rights for for different nations. Mm-hmm who either want more autonomy or independence across Europe. Yeah, yeah. And you think, Rory, looking to the future, are you hopeful that, um, I mean, things are not looking great just now. There are still, you know, many, a, a, a significant number of politicians in jail, and we're seeing increased repression with the jailing of Pablo Hussel and also, you know, um, even there's a, um, Sandra White mentioned there's a Scottish guy in prison at the moment, William Aitken, I think his name is, and he was just um, there. He's been accused of taking part in the demonstrations, but although people who live locally have been bailed out, he's not allowed bail because they consider him a flight risk, because, you know, even though he's been living there for a number of years. So it seems that the current climate is more repressive than ever. Do, do you think, um, from what you see of the situation, do you think there is hope for some sort of a political solution rather than this sort of repression using the police all the time? I, I would hope that there would be a political solution. I think when most people think of a political solution, they think of different institutions speaking to each other. So the Catalan government speaking to the Spanish government and, and coming to some sort of arrangement. I think the current Prime Minister and previous Prime Ministers in Spain have shown that they're not really that concerned about respecting mm-hmm. uh, Catalan democracy. So ultimately the only thing that can settle this is a referendum on Catalan self-determination. Mm-hmm. So th- there are the, the way that it's going to be driven forward is by the people themselves. That was how the referendum was driven forward and the, the declaration after it on independence was driven by the Catalan independence supporters, the activists, the people on the ground. Yeah. There could be a political response to this way through the European Union. So, for example, Article 7 of the Treaty on the European Union gives uh, power uh, through different mechanisms for certain rights uh, of member states, so in, in this case Spain, to be suspended. So that can be representation and trade rights. Oh. That's been used against Poland, it's been used against oh. Hungary. And one of the principles that uh, triggers that mechanism, if it's been violated, is democracy, human rights and human dignity. So, I mean, there's so many different violations of that treaty that Spain has committed, but there's nothing coming from the member states. The MEPs themselves have been have shown that they're actually in favour, essentially, by removing the immunity, sending these politicians to jail. Yeah. For executing a democratic mandate that they had, to, they were allowed to execute. Um, so the, the institutions themselves don't want to do that because, as I said, they're closing ranks. Uh-huh. So 
where it goes from here, I think it has to be the, the people themselves in Catalonia that, that do that. And I think for anyone who thinks that the European Union is a, a defender of human rights and democracy, then these rights have been won by the people themselves actually fighting for them. And I think that's true in the same uh, in the case of Scotland as well. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah, and are you are you going to carry on with putting effort into the Catalan Defence Committee? Yeah. yeah, I mean we were more we were more active um, in in previous years. I think we get a wee boost whenever something happens because yeah. we need something to, to talk about. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be as active as I can. I think everyone's feeling the strain the, the lockdown, and so I'll, I'll definitely try and yeah. be as active as I can. I think yeah. The pandemic has like put a damper and put a sort of break on a lot of political activity and Catalonia has had quite a lot of problems as well with um, you know with the health situation as well so I, I suppose that in itself hampers you know the push for political change because people are just focusing on um, the practicalities of getting through the this this terrible time that we're living through. If I could just say one more thing as well, that it's it's not just the the member states of the European Union that have a responsibility. The Scottish government has a responsibility as well. They've made statements in the past. I mean, they don't have much power in terms of foreign affairs, but they do have power the power to issue a statement on, on exactly what is happening. What I'm concerned about is that the solidarity has been sacrificed, human rights has been sacrificed in order for Scotland to be seen as a, an easy partner of the European Union. Mm. When it comes down to the question of, well, do we need to sacrifice solidarity with like-minded movements like in Catalonia and, and sacrifice human rights, is that is that going to be worth it in order to cozy up, cozy up to the likes of Spain? in order to get the an independent Scotland's EU membership. I don't think it is. We need to see, it's, it's all very well and good, the SNP having motions at party conferences and Nicola Sturgeon being on stage to, to support the motions. However, what we really need is the Scottish Government and the Scottish Government's actual capacity is to come out and condemn these decisions by the European Parliament. That's a very important point yeah. you're making there. In fact, when we interviewed Sandra White, she has just tabled a motion uh, in the Scottish Parliament, uh, condemning this um, uh, the action by the EU, and also um, you know um, demonstrating support for the, the people of Catalonia. Uh, yeah. I think that is useful, um, and I, I hope it will compel the Scottish government. However, the Scottish government should have the gumption to be able to do this without being asked. It should seem quite obvious and apparent that they should be condemning these decisions because it is ultimately undemocratic. Because these these three people are, are if it, if it goes through and they are extradited, they're they're going to jail and they're going to jail for a very long time. Yeah. Yes. Well, listen, Rory. We just wish you well with with uh, the work you're doing uh, in in that regard. And <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people realize the parallels that there are between the situation in Catalonia and the situation here in Scotland about pursuing independence and you know it's not precise uh, in parallel but it does point out the dangers that are there when you go along a path like that so really hope that the all the work you're doing Bing comes to good fruition soon 
and thanks very much for coming along today. That's really, really good of you. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Our next contributor is Jerry Mulvena. Hello, Jerry. Hi, you, Valerie. Hello, Marlene. Hi, hi, Jerry. And Jerry is a member of our Indie Live Radio team. Uh, he's got his own shows, but he's also a great devotee of Catalonia and a great supporter of Catalonian independence. So, Jerry, can you start off by telling us a little bit about how you first got interested in Catalan politics and culture? Right. I, the, the sequence was quite interesting because I'll try and keep it concise, uh, but it's good to tell the story because it was through Independence Live that I got interested in Catalonia. And so it was purely from doing a live stream in the meadows in Edinburgh of the Catalan people making one of their human towers, their castell, castells. So there's an Edinburgh Castellets club and I was live streaming them I, and then they were having food as well and I, I was immediately drawn into the cultural thing. And this was just before they had the referendum and of course the referendum then completely moved me with the scenes of violence and then in Edinburgh we turned out for a big march spontaneously and it was uh, and so I was carried carried along in that wave of solidarity. And then I wrote a song because in the wake of the referendum, of course, soon after the two Geordies were put in prison. So we started a letter writing campaign and really trying to support the letter writing campaign. I wrote a song called Dear Catalonia and didn't really think much more about it. As I, I was happy with it. And I put it out there as a video in December. And in January, some Catalan people picked it up and put uh, the Catalan translation on it. And it sort of started spreading around on their WhatsApps, I think. So it got quite a lot of traction in Catalonia and people really liked it. And then uh, a guy called Hector Sunyol, who makes lots of lovely videos for the Catalan movement, made a video to the song. And I was blown away by how powerful the the video was and so I decided I would go and visit him and so that was my first trip to Catalonia and that was July 2018 so the music and the live streaming brought me to Catalonia and as soon as I went I sort of fell in love with the people and the culture and it's been a big love affair ever since really and I was looking back on, on that time in July because the music played a big part and it really it really forms a big connection with people it's sort of it, it just breaks down barriers and everyone just singing and uh, i think they love the the, the the solidarity action of writing a song and trying to write in their language for part of it so it's for me it was wonderful to sing it and then they would sing along to the chorus a song they'd never heard before it was really quite something else so that's that's how it started and uh after that first visit, I made sort of half a dozen more visits uh, over over the time since up until the pandemic, really. We'll be playing your song, um, Dear Catalonia, on the show, but also um, you've written another song because one of the topics of this show, of course, is the removal of the immunity from the Catalan MEPs. And one of them, of course, is Clara Ponzati, who was resident, still is, legally resident here in Scotland, although I believe she spends quite a lot of time in Brussels now as an MEP. So you wrote a song for Clara Ponzati. Yeah, um, and it it was 
one of the quickest songs I probably have ever written. Um, so I, for me, it felt like a throwaway thing. I was preparing to go to a demonstration outside the court in Chamber Street, and I thought, you know, we need a sort of chant. We need a, a song. I'm going to bring my guitar, but what are we going to sing? And I thought, well, what, what if I just write a chant like for Clara Ponsetti? And so I started, I, I, I started putting it together. So I. At the time, I didn't think it was that strong a song, but then the more I sang it, the more, again, people picked up the chorus. And again, I, I wrote part of the chorus in Catalan. And so following a, a tried and tested method, and it, it sort of really worked. And I really now love the song. And and like when we were there for the uh, the ADA, was that 2019? Yes, it Val, was. Yeah. You know, um, me and David Foggo uh, uh, decided to sing it on on to a captive audience on the underground. Uh, I was there. Yeah, or you were on that carriage. We were, uh, we were further down in the, with Monica, and we, so all of a sudden we heard the Clara Ponta tea song, and we started laughing. And Monica went, "Jenny, Jenny!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I felt it. I mean, it was David's idea. I think. Um, and because uh, like, like people can't really get away, but I mean they're all going to the demonstration. So, but the, uh, people were a bit nonplussed by it. It didn't exactly erupt into a big uh, sing song, uh, but it was nice, a nice thing to do, I suppose. Um, but that that visit, the music really came through because uh, at, at most of the events we did, we were asked to sing, and um, so we were the Scottish contingent, and there, among us there was lots of us that sang. You sang. Um, Jane sang and uh, me David and there was a guy Pete Stewart who brought his pipes along and a big recorder uh, we were asked to do a few songs at the end of one event in the Royal Palace in Barcelona in the end we had to sort of just take the take over a wee bit because um, the organisers weren't really around and so we had to sort of just bring everyone in and have a wee sing song at the end and it, again it really was lovely and one of the other people on the Foreign Friends who was from the Netherlands sort of made the point that you know you Scottish people just have this connection with the Catalans and you the music it's just I'm so envious of how closely you're you're connected and I'm just saying well but the music's just the way and if you learn the songs and play this because we were just playing La Staca we weren't singing it and they all started singing it and so it, jo it joins you together that way so it's yeah. it really is a powerful thing to use in movements like this do you think that's what I was going to ask you, a more, you know, a wider question. That music really does bring together, bring people together. Politically, do you think that, I mean, we've, we've seen things like the singing revolution in Estonia, and if we think back to the 60s, the, the songs, the protest songs and the music was very much part of a political movement for change, like the anti-war, um, anti-Vietnam war and so on. Do you think that music does play a powerful part that debate and argument can't really achieve. Yeah, because it, it just touches people's emotions. And I think ultimately in a national movement, it isn't really about the economy or anything. It's about, you know, are we a country? Are we going to just take take control of our destiny or whatever? So it's, a, it's an emotional thing more than the sort of the political argument. So the music... The music gets through to that. I mean, if you think of all the, the, the way that music features an Irish struggle or whatever, and the, the revolutionary songs right through the history of Ireland, it comes right back 
to the music a lot of the time. So, and in the independence movement, there's lots of people creating music, and so we just continue to create that. I think, and new, these new songs will stir people. Um, I, I I discovered a song. There's a song called Searsha by a guy called Eddie Reed from Yoker, and it's really about the 2014 referendum. But I I sing it all the time now because it's really powerful, and um, it, it it particularly hit a chord with friends of mine who had voted no I think the last time but they're now sort of totally on board and so, some of those people that sort of have moved from no to yes are are the most sort of vociferous yesers I find. That song for some reason really strikes a chord with this one particular friend I'm thinking of who plays the violin along with me on it and it's a sort of a march and and the words are great so the you know, there's people in the movement that are writing stuff, uh, writing songs, and so it's it's just lovely to hear them all, and, and we need to sort of share them around, really, yeah. I think that um, you can talk to people and appeal to their logic and to their and to the reason and to their head, but with a lot of independence movements, um, it, it's the heart, it's the way people feel that really matters as well, isn't it? I mean, there are some songs that when you sing them, that they literally make the hearers stand up on the back of your neck, and I think we're going to play a song later on your song about Clara Ponza T and you played that um, outside the prison at Le Donaire's uh, that must have been quite an unforgettable experience it really was because I, I had gone there with the foreign friends and I had gone with my live streaming gear no guitar or anything I'd, I'd just gone to live stream it but the people organising the foreign friends were aware of my Clara Ponza T song so they essentially pushed me forward to the organisers and said, this fella has a song he wants to sing. And, I, and they put me on first. <laughs> put me on first. And it was amazing. And uh, and I've I've luckily been able to watch videos of it from all sorts of angles because everyone had their phone out. And I'm not sure how I got those WhatsApp videos, but I, people <laughs> sent them to me. And it's, it's fascinating because like where someone is standing, you hear different voices. So you... This, the the song can sound different from every vantage point because there was about 2,000 people there and there's flags from all over the world and so the whole thing that, that day was amazing because there was a whole orchestra of of adults and children together playing classical music it it was music that, that was their protest they were, they were right outside the prison the prisoners could hear the music and they were there just to play music and they were doing that regularly every weekend, I think. Or So the farmers who owned the fields next to it just let them have the fields. They were in support and they would have their tractors up with big signs on it and big flags on it. So they were right next to the prison. It was uh, a wonderful experience and to see that and to hear all that music and the children and just everyone just joining in. Fabulous stuff. It's interesting, isn't it, Jerry? I mean, that business about, you know, playing that music outside a prison. I mean, there's almost a mythic context for that, isn't it? I mean, if you go back centuries in Europe, there's all sorts of folk tales and, and some of them actually historical things where a minstrel or someone has um, done that and people kind of linking up their emotional connection, even though there's big barriers, big walls literally mm -hmm. between them so it's interesting all of that talking about you know the emotions that are there that we can the music evokes and probably amplifies and then that lets people connect how about when part of the emotion that people feel safe for an independence movement actually is fear 
and an apprehension. I mean, it's, do you think there's? I mean, obviously you can. That's maybe when you know a, a, a more you know discussion kind of approach comes in. But do you think music can also help weaken people's fears? I suppose that sometimes you can acknowledge it. Um, like if if we've it's it's honest to be fearful of of the unknown. I suppose so. But like the Estonians were saying in that Leslie Riddick film, you, you need courage. So if, if songs could talk about, you know, the things, the unknown and what we're frightened of, but to have the courage and to talk, to yeah. sing about that courage, I suppose. So, yeah, to, 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 to sing about whatever emotions you're feeling, it, it, it can be useful to capture that in a song. Yeah. So, I mean, now, if you think of songs like historically, a lot of them were not just about having moral courage or courage for change, but they were actual physical courage for troops going into battle. If you think of songs like Scott Swahe and, you know, like the Marseillaise, a lot of these songs were really just designed exactly for what you're saying, Marlene, to kind of get people's blood up so that mm. they wouldn't be frightened. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was saying the other day when we were talking to the the folk from Thinking for an Independent Scotland, Jerry, that I was at a lecture at the, at the university for the Centre for Political Song, and they had done a an academic survey about the music that was written round about the time of the Scottish referendum, and there were like well over I think it was in the region of a hundred songs written on the yes side and they could only find three written on the no side. <laughs> yeah. It spoke volumes, really. Um, because there, there wasn't much grassroots activity on the no side. No. Um, they they were defending what they saw as the status quo, and so nobody was really that motivated, I don't think. So it was a, it's a, a bizarre contrast. So to get back to Catalonia, um, what do you think then? How do you see things going forward? It seems a particularly bleak time just now with, you know, so many of the politicians still subject to detention and imprisonment. So many, plus the EU withdrawing the immunity for the MEPs. Do you think there is a cause for optimism? Well, there's real optimism in the, the recent election in that they've now crossed the 50% barrier in terms of the popular vote. Once again, they've got the majority in terms of seats. But I suppose you're really picking up a division in their movement and there's a frustration, I suppose, because what, what is their roadmap to, to, to get there? Because Spain are just very intransigent, transigent. And they seem to be very inconsistent because there was one of the exiles, Mirichel Serret came back home and she did have to turn up at court but she was released and and yet there, there there's there's other exiles I don't think they would treat as well I think she's in the Republican left party the other exiles they would be fearful they would go straight to prison I think if they went back well certainly that's definitely what Clara Ponzati said when she was interviewed the other night um, on Newsnight that she was convinced that she would not only be prosecuted but that she would in common with the other politicians she would be put in pre-trial detention yeah. so that, uh, you know, and not bailed so that she could spend up to two years waiting for a trial and ultimately you know those those politicians and the two Geordies are in prison still and they're they're constantly trying to repress their their privileges you know because because they've been in prison a long time they get to go out 
and the courts are keep saying, "Oh, well, they can't be getting out." You know, they need. So it's it's like they're punishing the whole movement through these people, mm. and the pun. And of course, you've had the recent musician who was put in prison, Pablo Hussel, uh, and he's he's from Yeda, and he's a revolutionary rapper. Yeah, so he got. It was his arrest that caused the big demonstrations and. Recently in Barcelona and surrounding areas, wasn't yeah. It? So for young people, they're they're feeling this this repression. They've grown up with with Spain repressing the Catalan society in this way, and it's you know it's it's coming out on the streets, and it's yeah, it's turning quite violent and loot into looting in some cases, I suppose. So so that's all a bit bleak, as you say. But ultimately, when it comes to the ballot box. They're increasing. The hope is increasing there that you know ultimately they're allowed to determine their own future by the ballot box. They're they're going to get there. There is a bit of hope in. The, there's an article in today's National that says um, Pedro Sanchez, the Prime Minister of Spain, has said that he's ready to talk about the future of Catalonia through political and democratic routes, and that the bilateral commission that last convened more than a year ago. Um, is being resumed and that came after pressure from the Republic left, the ERC and the Spanish Congress. However, I, I, I'm not quite sure how genuine that is because I know that they did make moves and said they were open to dialogue before but nothing really came of it. Pedro Sanchez has said that his government are wanting to find a political route. That Maybe that there is a bit of hope there. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, or or to be cynical, they might just be trying to feed the divisions between the Republican left and junts. Yeah, that's yeah. Although um, Meritzel Budo, who's the spokesperson for the Catalan government, she said that an, there's an amnesty law bill has been lodged in Congress by, by pro-Indie MPs um, MPs who are in favour of Catalan independence and that that's given the Spanish government a magnificent opportunity to face the political conflict in a political way. So she said the Catalan government are waiting to know what the proposal of the Spanish state is for Catalonia because apart from repression we have not heard anything else in relation to the political conflict. So it still sounds like a bit of a stalemate, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess we need to wait and see. Yeah, I I was just really taken aback, going back to the European Parliament, how there was a committee decision that was, you know, 25 people, five of whom were Spanish unionists. And then there was no vote. There was no debate in in the parliamentary chamber. It was just, you know, okay, we're going to vote. And uh, so you've got an hour to pressure buttons. It's a secret ballot. And then we'll tell you the result in the morning. So there's no debate about what is a fundamental you know, central theme of the European Union, you know, democracy and protecting minorities and things like that. And it was just rubber stamped a decision by a um, a sort of flawed legal affairs committee. I, I just was really taken aback by that. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for talking to us today, Jerry. not only about the political side, but about the cultural side and the music that is so important to you. And we'll be hearing both of your songs on the show today. So oh, thank, thank you. you. It's an absolute pleasure. And good luck with uh, the, all your endeavours. Thank you. Thank you.
the street for all the world to see. In defense of our professor, Clara Pulsity, we stand against repression in solidarity. In support of our professor, Clara Pulsity, la nostra pulsiera. to welcome Amar Anwar with us um, this morning, as particularly as he is such a busy person, so we're very grateful that you've given us the time. So let's cut straight to the chase, Amar, and ask, we know that you have been involved with um, defending and representing Clara Ponzati for a number of years now. Would you like to give us an update on what the current situation is? Because we're aware that there was a recent development where the EU voted to withdraw the um, immunity of um, the Catalan MEPs from um, extradition. So so the the, the position is that obviously Clara had a pending extradition case, Edinburgh Sheriff Court, that had been delayed as the Edinburgh Sheriff Court uh, wanted to await the outcome of uh, a motion that was before the European Parliament. Um, Unfortunately, what happened was that the Legal Affairs Committee, um, um, just a few weeks beforehand, um, had voted 
and it was leaked quite um, in, in advance of the Legal Affairs Committee coming out. But the Legal Affairs Committee had basically, um, by majority, decided that um, Clara and the two other MEPs, um, Tony Coleman and the, the former um, president, Carlos Puigdemont, should, be, um, sh should have their legal immunity lifted. Um, the Legal Affairs Committee, I think, is important for people to know, is chaired by a far-right member of, uh, of a, far a member of a Bulgarian far-right party, and is dominated by the Spanish. Now, the, the actual vote then went to the Parliament to to lift the immunity, and the basis of it is that if you lift legal immunity, and all MEPs have um, legal immunity, so they're free to travel, um, you know, between the various European states, and it means that they can't be arrested, and especially if it's in consideration to in relation to political acts. And this, the, the basis of that, of course, is you know the, the, why the European Union was created, I and mean, it was created in the shadow of the Holocaust. You know, it was created in the shadow of you know. Um, um, the, the, Nazi Germany, you know, um, and other countries having operated, you know, um, on the basis of erasing free speech, the murder of six million Jewish people, uh, you know, the, the right to protest and freedom of movement, etc. And uh, the European Union came to get, together to basically say in the 50s that never again, you know, the Human Rights Act was created out of that. Um, now, what's what's happened is we, we, it went to Parliament last week. The majority, 42% of the parliament didn't vote for it, but the Spanish obviously have placed pressure on the European um, leaders and European countries to, to lift the immunity of Clara, um, as well as Tony and as well as Carlos. I, I, what I said at the time is by bending the will um, you know, of the parliament to the needs of Spain, they have set a very dangerous precedent. They set a dangerous precedent for other rogue states which wish to attack democracy. You know, and, and by taking this act, you know, the European parliament is complicit in the fundamental abuse of human rights because Clara faces multiple years in prison and, and, and what's her crime? She's not committed any crime other than defending the human rights of the Catalan people and their right to vote which is enshrined, enshrined in international law and it's abhorrent that any politician should face imprisonment in the heart of Europe for carrying out the democratic will of the people but that's what she faces at the moment we're in the situation at the moment, however, without going into too much of the legal details, that um, this is like this will be challenged, and um, that process is going to take some time because it'll be challenged on the basis of whether whether she received due process, whether the rest of the MEPs received due process, whether the process was carried out correctly. There was all the issue of leaking, um, and then following on from that, whether this has to go to the courts um, in order to challenge it. So. Mm had a, a hearing in Glasgow, sorry, in Edinburgh, it was set for May the 4th, that um, that might just be an administrative hearing, um, and it may well go off to, to consider at a later date the question of extradition for Clara. It must be incredibly stressful for Clara to have that hanging over her head all the time. It is. I mean, whilst anybody who knows Clara and met her and heard her speak, I mean, she's been... Uh, <laughs> prolific in her activities as an MEP, you know, since she's become elected as an MEP and hasn't stopped. I mean, you see her popping up all the time and don't know where she gets the energy from. Um, but I mean, she is robust in her spirit. She is determined when I spoke to her, you know, she is determined to fight. Um, she was on Newsnight the other night with Emily Maitlis and she said, you know, she said, I'm not just going to turn up and just accept her. She will fight back. And she has been fighting. Um, and obviously, but but if, even if you look at it on a personal basis, um, the toll that it must take on someone's life to know that any moment you could be taken, arrested by the police, taken into custody, extradited to Spain, which will put her into pre-trial detention. And we know what is going to happen with this because they will just simply find her guilty because they're relying on evidence that they found the other ones guilty. 
the other nine who are in prison. And as a result of that, they'll use that evidence to somehow find that um, Clara is also guilty. You know, people need to remember that Clara was um, an, an academic. She was a lecturer at St. Andrew's University. She was given the great honour of coming back to, to Catalonia to serve as an education minister in around about the time that the referendum was called. Um, and that was her role, um, you know, along with many others. They carried out the mandate, you know, and of course there is parallels being drawn. You know, she carried out the mandate of the, the, the electorate who had voted for parties to say they wanted an independence referendum. The fact that the Spanish state um, decided to send in, you know, the paramilitaries, the Spanish police, the batons, um, you know, against people just simply putting an X in a box is is, yeah. is abhorrent. Yeah. And if you, I mean, parallel we've drawn over the last couple of years of defending Clara is, is imagine tomorrow. Um, although, uh, having looked at the actions of the Metropolitan Police just recently, I wouldn't put it beyond Boris Johnson, to be honest. If tomorrow, Nicola Sturgeon was to call a referendum without the support of the British government, and we were to go ahead with you know, a, a referendum to see what people actually do to, to, to apply pressure to the British government. And the first thing that Boris Johnson decided to do was to send, you know, um, 17,000 um, police officers from the Met, from other areas around the United Kingdom, and they came as an invading force to attack people at the electoral, you know, at the electoral booths, to at the, the, the schools and the chambers where people would be taking their vote. People would be outraged. Yeah. And I suspect yeah. Scotland would be independent tomorrow yeah. because people stand up and fight back. What you're saying there, uh, Amir, just actually took me back to watching those images from the TV when all that was happening. It was it was absolutely shocking. Um, I was wondering, is it, has this immunity against um, extradition, has that ever been lifted before with EUPs, MEPs in other situations? I've, we've got mountains and mountains of files in preparation that have been done over the last few years. But, but from recollection, I think there was a case in relation to um, Italians, MEPs, but that was in relation to um, criminal offences, yeah. uh, rather than political offences. And uh, and if it's political, it's supposed to be protected. However, of course, the Spanish are saying that the 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 Catalans have committed criminal offences, and of course, you know, they're using the, you know, the, the, they're using that as a basis to say it's up to Spain. And the, the, I mean, yeah. the coward's way out for the Europeans to say this is for the Spanish authorities to deal with it internally. It's not a matter for Europe. Yeah. But that's just. Not true, because European Union repeatedly will say things um, and intervene uh, in what happens in their you know, fellow member states, and, and not just in their fellow member states, in other countries, because, of course, they've made statements, very robust statements about the role of, of Russia. You know, they've made robust statements oh. about China, about Saudi Arabia and, uh, and, and other regimes. So, you know, on this, you know, as I said, it's complicity, um, it's cowardly. And it sends out the wrong message. Yeah. And of course, I, I suspect the powers that be will be watching very closely to see how it is dealt with, albeit that we're at, you know, out of Europe now. But um, for them to know, you know, for I suppose for Boris Johnson and the others to know, well, if they adopt a robust position, who could take the higher moral ground in Europe um, uh, against that? Exactly, yes. Could I also ask you, 
Amar, about the the sort of wider political situation in terms of rather than the legal situation, I know that you're also very well informed about the pol- the politics of the situation. The Sp- the foreign minister, the Spanish foreign minister, Arantia Gonzalez Laya, commented, you know, that this is a matter for Spain to sort out, but there doesn't. And the Spanish government did make sort of cheap promises of dialogue but there doesn't seem to be any political dialogue ongoing at all. All the action has been punitive legal action against Catalan politicians, I just, which to me it seems like persecution. I just wondered if you think that there, there is any you know, hope of progress in a political sense of dialogue rather well, than... I, I mean, I remember two and a half years ago at the um, Diada, I spoke something like six million people i was yeah. one of them i was there right. I, I was there i heard you i was there on the, the avenue <laughs> so i mean um and that was a you know that probably that one of the highlights of my life i mean i could not believe it and i still get a buzz when i think about you know whether just when i met the the, the president quim Torah and i asked him i said who else is speaking and I said, are you speaking? Well, no, no, no politicians are allowed to speak. And I said, how are you speaking? No, it's just a handful of people. Well, who, who's the first speaker? And he went, you are. And I went, are you winding me up? And he's like, no, you are. And of course, like, I had to, you know, I had the first half of the speech in Catalan and the rest of it in English. And I, cre- I was like, ah, for half an hour beforehand with um, one of my judges saying, teach me, I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> I need to get it right. So, um, but, but I remember that time when I, when I spoke, I spoke about Pedro Sanchez, who was a new Prime Minister, the Spanish Prime Minister, and of course, claims to be a socialist. And he had said that, you know, um, he wanted political dialogue. And I said that, that Diada, and I've continued to say that if you say you want political dialogue, then you don't conduct it with a gun to hostages' heads. Um, you know, and I use the analogy that if tomorrow a person breaks into your family's home, takes your children hostage, um, and keeps them hostage for a year, and then puts a gun to your head and say, right, let's sit and negotiate now. That's not negotiation, that's political gangsterism, that's terrorism, that's state terrorism. And sadly, the position is that whilst from the outside, well, people welcome, you know, the the appointment of Pedro Sanchez because publicly it's seen as, oh, well, he's left-wing, he's like a Labour Party, he's this and that. He's nothing of the sort because Franco made damn sure when he died that the structures of the state remained and remained in the control you know, of, of the right wing, um, you know, of the fascist element, you know, the control of the judiciary, you know, whose many of whose forefathers worked for Franco and were appointed, you know, the military, you know, um, and the police, you know, the Spanish police who fundamentally control what happens in Catalonia. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, even if somebody wants to negotiate or to do something, independence is a complete no, you know, because it's a breakup of the Spanish state seen as an attack on the integrity of the Spanish institution. So basically it's like, for instance, if tomorrow... Um, Scotland wants to vote for independence if Boris Johnson said well that's fine but we'll only do it if the whole of the UK has a right in that vote and people go well that doesn't make sense you know mm. people have a right you know um, you know, to, to, for, 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 for a nation to decide its own destiny um, so I, I think the problem that we've got at the moment is standstill you know, um, the, in terms of the votes within the, the, the Spanish parliament it veers between moving to the right and moving to the left um, those who remain in power will do sort of superficial acts, but actually in reality will do nothing. I mean, the, the, the simplest matter would be for, you know, for them to bring in an act within the Spanish parliament that would, as a result, release, you know, the, the politicians from custody. 
and potentially to maybe say, well, okay, fine, we got it wrong last time, we order a new vote. You know, I mean, what I cannot understand for the life of me is this, is that if the Spanish, because at that time, you know, what happened was the, the majority, I think, the, I mean, what was, I think it was around about 93 or 97% that voted for independence. I think it was only 43% of the electorate that turned out. One can imagine if the Spanish state had actually mobilized to, you know, let's say, up, um, you know, what, what um, Theresa May and Boris Johnson and the rest of them did around the time of the referendum, you know, um, in terms of mobilizing against the yes vote and had done the similar process, then the Catalans may well have lost it. And I suspect mm -hmm. the line would have not for another generation, you know, once in a lifetime, potentially you could have probably heard Pedro Sanchez saying, but they never went down that line. They decided to use boot boy tactics, fascist tactics, Franco tactics. And what that actually has done is it's increased the support, um, you know, for, for independence because people have had enough. So, you know, for the first time, I think in a very long time, the Catalans control, the, the, the independentistas control the parliament. But the problem still comes that, you know, in terms of the sections they can impose, that you know, they can impose direct rule. There's always that danger bubbling in a way in the background. And, and I had said, and I've spoken, you know, closely to the politicians, you know, um, you know, good friends. I, I, I regard Quim Toro, who's, who's, who's stepping down again, another politician who's been victimized, persecuted. And you use the right word, persecution, because I think it is political persecution, because they have taken their politicians hostage. You know, their, their politicians are either in exile or being held hostage. And it's a deliberate attempt to decapitate the independence movement, but they failed to do so. But the problem now remains that the power rests, as I said at that diada which you were at, I said the power rests with the people. And for me, it was disappointing because when it finished at around five or six o'clock in the evening and I asked the, you know, the, the politicians what happens now, they said, oh, everybody goes home and it was very organized. They cleaned up their own rubbish. Huh. You know, six people you know, on the buses, organized the zones, left, etc. And that was it. And I said, well, where was the plan? And I asked, where is the, where's the roadmap to independence? And it was, and everybody was like, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, if you don't have a roadmap, there's yeah. no point in marching people to like the grand old Duke of York to the top of the hill and you march them down again and you march them to the top of the hill because that, that, that number of people going with you will get smaller and smaller and more and more demoralized. Yes, I, so I mean, there are indeed some parallels that people would um, regard be close to home and, and that's the danger and I said that the Spanish state had set a trap for them and of course they walked into the trap and the trap is now laid and I said also that if you focus entirely on the politicians and it all becomes about the politicians being released you forget that outside the politicians there are millions of people suffering as a result of Spanish control of Catalonia and it means that the resentment grows and then it all becomes about not just now because we have to deal with the politicians we have to deal with their jail sentences mm -hmm. everything has focused on the courts and I for one of course have always believed that if you just rely on the judges and the legal system that you know are against you then you're not going to win you have to build a campaign outside the courtrooms and on the streets and they didn't harness the power of the people because they didn't for instance order a general strike they didn't you know unite with various organizations to get them on the street to shut down the country to make it impossible to make it impossible for the Spanish to be able to rule it because whilst they could send 15,000 you know um Spanish state police paramilitaries in it was only a matter of time before they would have to leave unless they yeah. imposed direct rule because you can't keep that you know that in, in that semblance of democracy up if you start to impose paramilitary rule on the streets some people would react and they have of course reacted badly and it's now moved to the stage that you know people are not looking to the politicians for leadership they're looking to people on the street and of course we've seen oh i mean i know through 
in the last 30 years of campaigning that when you have riots and you have situations like that, well, it's almost like, you know, a, a riot is a cry of the oppressed, um, a cry of the voiceless. And it's almost like a rocket that goes up into the sky and then it falls to the ground because it has no direction. You know, you, you, you don't know what, yeah. what's going to next. And, and, and that, I think, where what has happened is the political leadership has been lacking. However, Clara has been very critical of that. You know, she's spoken out robustly um, against the mistakes that have been made. Um, the question now is because is, it's almost like a political stalemate because where next? Because if, if everything becomes focused on elections, then it's just about elections. It's just moving pieces on the chessboard. But you don't actually win the game. All it's just is it's a never-ending chess game rather than one that you actually do win. Could I ask you just maybe to f one final question? Um, do you think that Clara's case being dealt with here in Scotland in the Scottish legal system, do you think that's an advantage compared to maybe being in other countries? Well, it depends which country. I mean, Belgium has a very good track record of dealing with the Catalan cases and obviously being at the heart of Europe. You know, in terms of ECJ, the European Court of Justice, in terms of the, um, you know, the, the rulings of the European Court of Justice in terms of human rights. Germany also had a good track record in dealing with, um, with cases in relation to the Catalans. Of course, there's other countries such as Italy that we wouldn't want Clara to be in. You know, we, we had a sort of, whilst Clara was free to, free to travel, we, it was almost a case of like a no-fly list to certain countries that we wouldn't because we would trust those authorities not to act. France, for instance, being one because they have their own problems with the Basques and the Catalans. The parallel that we would draw would be this. And it's a parallel that, of course, will come to everyone's mind. And it would be one to imagine Nicola Sturgeon calling a referendum on the back of the mandate of the Scottish people, which quite clearly she has, to call a referendum. And calling a referendum, and tomorrow Boris Johnson sends the trips in, sends the Met in, and half the cabinet is taken into custody and the other half of the cabinet go into exile in Europe and Nicola is put on trial for treason. Well, people will go, oh, that's, you know, that's an ancient law. You can't do it on that. Maybe there's some civil law that you could prosecute on for breaking some civil statute, but it's not a criminal offence. And I think that, you know, I think that's very much present in people's mind because, of course, we have our own battles and that we're fighting and wars that we have to win. When it comes to this, um, so that would be very much, you know, present and dominating the whole position. And of course, you know, we've seen that in terms of, you know, how the the British mainstream media has conducted it because they've done the compare and contrast themselves in terms of Catalonia, you know, the role of Scotland, whether Scotland would be allowed into the European Union if they backed the Catalans, etc. You know, so there's all those ga that game playing that's that's gone on. Mm -hmm. Well, all we can say is to thank you very much for speaking to us today well, and I hope that you'll pass on our very best wishes to Clara. I'm sure all of our listeners then would want to pass on good wishes as well and we'll be watching um, with interest. We'll certainly hope that everything goes well and that the immunity is restored. That was good talking to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Amar. You're listening to Indie Live Radio. And we've just come to the end of today's daytime show. We hope you appreciated hearing from all our guests and it was a strong theme. No doubt it brought back memories of the scenes from Catalonia's independence referendum. And here at Indie Live Radio, we're sending all good wishes to Clara Ponsati and her fellow Catalan MEPs in these uncertain times.